You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Lauren Cohen with eCouncil Global. This is Michael Wenner from Masterworks.io. Hi, I'm John Medved, the CEO of rcrowd.com, and you're listening to the Earn and Invest Podcast. I wouldn't say that in my history as an investor, I was into speculation or even alternative investments. But when I look back at my history, I realize that maybe I did more of these things than I thought. If I go back to even as a little kid, I used to collect baseball cards and I would buy a pack for a few cents find the card that was worth dollars and put it in a little plastic and hold it. In fact, it went so far that once a new set came out, I would buy 10 or 20 of them. And then I would sell them through a local baseball card magazine. Now, of course, I remember one and specifically, they were called sports flicks. I thought this was going to be the next best, greatest thing. I called all the vendors and finally found one that was willing to sell to me and got 10 sets set to the house. And after selling about five, everyone lost interest in them. And I lost pretty much all the money I invested. But that didn't stop me. Later on, when I was a medical resident, I discovered artwork. Searching on eBay, I found that I could find the exact paintings that were thousands of dollars in the gallery for a huge discount. So I started buying and selling artwork. After a few years, I probably sold a few hundred thousand dollars worth of paintings. I didn't make that much on it. And certainly my house is now full of artwork. I still have leftover from that time in my life, but it was a really great experience. Fast forward to when I was a young physician, my wife and I bought a lake home in Wisconsin and fixed it up with the idea of using it. But instead, we rented it out and sold it a few years later for 100% profit. And then, of course, there was my medical practice. I started as an employee, but eventually I began my own medical practice and finally branched out into a concierge medical practice that I ran all on my own. And it ended up being a good portion of the money I made for the last decade. While I was doing all these things, I'd also been a basic W-2 employee. And I had invested in equities and index funds. And looking back now, I really wonder. These things that I used to call alternative investments or speculations often made me quite a bit of money. 
On the other hand, having that backbone, that safety of my W-2 employment and my index investing also increased my net worth quite a bit. So the real question becomes, which was the better investment? I don't know about you, but I don't have the time anymore to read a bunch of books about personal finance. In fact, a bunch of what I learned today comes from blogs and websites, and that's why I'm really excited my friend Jim Wang created WalletHacks.com. It's basically a site where you can go learn about credit cards, banking, investing, insurance, or even loans. There's a bunch of great articles as well as other information. In fact, recently they posted an article about how to remove medical collections from your credit report. I think this is something a lot of people face. Healthcare debt is ever increasing. It is an issue we all face. And what to do after you've paid it off and yet you have this blemish on your credit report is so important. That's why it makes sense to check out WalletHacks.com, a place that helps demystify money. For far too long, experts have made it complicated so they can make money off you. WalletHacks offers no products, no services, just information to help you become better with your money, and best of all, it's free. Sign up for their newsletter at WalletHacks.com. That's W-A-L-L-E-T-H-A-C-K-S dot com. Jonathan Medved is a serial entrepreneur, venture capitalist, and angel investor in Israel's high-tech scene. He is the founder and CEO of Crowd, a leading equity crowdfunding platform. Jonathan, welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Doc. It's great to have you. I am super interested and excited about talking about our crowd. But before we do, let me introduce Michael Wenner. He is an experienced marketing executive and oversees user acquisition, performance marketing, and demand generation at Masterworks. That's a company that securitizes artwork for member investment. Michael, was it the art that got you interested in this business, or was it the business model that drew you to Masterworks? Well, Doc G, first off, thanks so much for having me. This is a really exciting opportunity. Glad to, to join this panel. Um, to be totally frank, I really didn't know much about art, art investing, fine art, blue chip art, you know, other than what I'd seen at MoMA or the Met. It was really more about the financials that really got me interested in this. My background is previously in sales and trading equities. Then I moved into more of the alternative space at two somewhat similar alternative asset companies. Yield Street, which is a platform for investing in high yield debt, and EquityZen, which is a platform for buying and selling shares of pre-IPO tech companies. The hard part about those two things is you can't really touch, feel, and see and make a connection to those investments. But with Masterworks, you really get people that are passionate about the work, passionate about the artist, and want to live, feel, and touch their investment. It's a funny story. When I got interested in buying and selling artwork, as I was talking about in my introduction, it was a love of the artwork that spurred me to get into it. But funny enough, after doing it for a few years, and I'd have hundreds of thousands of dollars of pieces of art in and out of my hands, I lost the interest in the artwork. And it almost became just paper and an investment. It almost sounds like for you, it might be different. You got interested in the business model and maybe discovered the art later. So that's a pretty cool story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we find is that people who are already interested in the arts or can collect art on their own usually don't need masterworks. They're going and buying art themselves. We're really here to democratize these $1 million paintings for the average retail investor. 
Very cool. And Lauren A. Cohen is an international speaker, number one best-selling author, and immigration and business strategist, and is an attorney licensed in both the U.S. and Canada. She is the founder of eCouncil, Inc. Lauren, what do you guys do at eCouncil? Well, the question is, what don't we do? (laughs) (laughs) So I'm also a realtor, and our specialty is helping people invest across borders, especially from countries like Israel and my home country of Canada. I've been working with foreign nationals for about, well, longer than I care to remember, but about 20 years, helping people find solutions and invest in alternative real estate strategies specifically, and also find solutions for startups and existing businesses to come into the U.S. and Canada and find their way to success very strategically and efficiently without hitting roadblocks on their way. So that's where the legal and business and real estate kind of all pools together. So I want to start the episode, Jonathan, by asking a really big question, right? I'm going to hit you with the main question of the episode right out of the gate. Is speculation a bad word? And furthermore, are alternative investing platforms and entrepreneurship forms of speculation? Not necessarily. I think speculation is a bad word, actually. I think that at least my understanding of the the word and the definition is that you're entering into an area where you don't have any expertise and where you think there's some kind of a, a hype wave and you're going to be a speculator in a, in a gold rush of one kind or another. That is different than investment. Investment, I think, is, is obviously quite serious business. I think that when you invest properly in startup uh, technology companies, you're making a a serious decision. Now, the problem has been that for most of us, this has been aspirational in any kind of real sense. Most of us were not invited to the seed round of Uber or to the seed round of Beyond Meat or to the seed round of Airbnb or any of these sort of legendary historic companies. What we had in the past was an opportunity to buy IPOs in legendary companies and hold them, like Microsoft, Amazon, Apple, et cetera, where you could have actually put money in at the IPO, which in those days was like Oracle went public. I think it was three or $400 million you know, market cap. You could have invested in these companies and made a thousand times your money, right? In other words, you, you could have uh, uh, put tens of thousands of dollars to work in one of these really, and that's not speculation, right? Because, you know, those companies were, were, if you looked at it and you understood what they were doing and you held for 20, 30, 40 years, you just did remarkably. Unfortunately, the public market doesn't work that way anymore because the companies that are going public today are, are going much, much later where the value has been inflated so much that the public investor who's coming in on the IPO is not going to make a thousand times. I mean, no matter how much I love Uber or I love even Beyond Meat, which was one of our investments, and I'll explain in a second, you're not going to make a thousand times in the market. It's not, it's not there because the companies are going public at, at, at multiples of billions of dollars. So therefore, the, the question for the rest of us is how do we get in when these startups are young? How do you not just invest in a piece of art at Masterworks? How do you become an equity investor at Masterworks and make money 
by their excitement, okay, in terms of monetizing and democratizing the asset class. And so what we've done at our crowd is to let accredited investors, qualified investors in Canada, sophisticated investors in other places, people typically who have some money in America, you have to have a million dollars of net worth or a $200,000 annual income. How do you get a chance to actually choose startups and build a diversified portfolio? And the way that we do it is that we provide all of the venture capital services, the due diligence, the sourcing, the deal management after the investment is made. And you can do it for $10,000 an investment minimum, or you can buy funds that uh, then give you that diversification. Because the key thing in startup investing beyond everything else is the need to not just make one or two investments because this is risky business. In in English, uh, venture capital sounds like a trip to Disneyland. In Hebrew, it's called hon sikun, which means danger capital. Israel is known for its directness. And the only way to really mitigate that risk is to have a diversified portfolio that really has at least 10 different investments in it. Michael, let's talk about what John just said. And I want to compare collectibles and masterwork to startups. I hear a few things from what he just answered. One is that speculation does feel like a bad word because it almost feels unscientific. And there's a way to go about these investments much more scientifically and much more thoughtfully. On the other hand, one of the upsides of what we would have called speculation is the return, right? These, how are you going to 1,000x your return? With those thoughts in the background, how do you look at artwork and collectibles in general? Would you think that there's a speculative nature to it, or do you think that's completely misplaced? It's a great question. And, and so first off, I'll, I'll start off um, with, with your last question, actually, about is speculation a bad word? I think that throughout history, humans are going to have a desire to have some sort of speculation in their lives. We've seen that um, recently with the uptick in Robinhood traders, as they're called. We've seen that with sports gambling. And we've seen it centuries ago with the tulip trade. It's something that's going to happen for a while, happens with Bitcoin. And I think if investors can be responsible and have that part of one to 5% of their portfolio, they're going to get that knack out, that itch to be speculative, to gamble in a way that may not be completely responsible. But if they're responsible with the other 95% of their portfolio, you're going to be okay in the long term. And you may even strike gold if, if that's what you want to call it in that small part of your portfolio. It's not going to have a big impact on your life. So I do think that for those people that need to get that itch out, it is important to have that. Um, to your second question, Art can be inherently speculative. There are a lot of artists, and we're here in uh, in Soho. If you walk around the Lower East Side or Soho, you'll see a lot of these, you know, um, a bunch of galleries on the street. These are up and coming artists, don't really have a long and proven track record. But we here at Massworks try to focus on top 100 selling artists of all time. That means these people have markets where they're selling hundreds of million dollars of paintings a year. Uh, and, and the way it works to, we've really brought a sort of data-centric approach to the art market. We look at artists, we'll look at an individual painting, for example, follow it through time, let's say over the past 100 years, a Monet, for example, and we'll see all the data points of where this painting has sold 
in public uh, in public auctions. And we'll find all the other similar paintings. So we can follow a certain artist's market looking at different variables like, is the artist living or not? What, what did similar paintings do? How is the how the prices moved over time? What are the themes done? We're we able to track that. We actually have one of the, we have the largest database of public uh, records at Massworks of uh, from Sotheby's and Christie's, Bonham's, Phillips, other auction houses. So we've taken what has traditionally been a speculative asset that's only been you know accessible to millionaires and billionaires and really given it to people with a lot less risk than something like a Bitcoin, for example. We're give, And we do that by giving people the data so they can make those decisions themselves. I think the more informed people are, just as John was saying about, you know, you're able to invest in Amazon went public, it only had $16 million of revenue. You know, we're seeing companies with, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars of revenue going public these days. The difference is the information when they're going public Everyone got all that public information. Now there's a lot, you can't really see any of that in the private markets. You know, at equities and where I was before, you can invest in some of these private markets, but again, you don't have access to the financials. So I think having that transparency, uh, especially in this digital age is what's gonna set apart speculative investments from one another. It's really important to, for people to understand the difference between speculation and investment is whether it's done sort of, uh, excuse me, half-ass, sort of based on a whim, I'm going to take a risk, a gamble, versus a serious approach. And a serious approach means that either you have the skills or you develop the skills to do the homework, or you work with trusted advisors and you have a, a methodology. And I'm, I'm just, you know, completely against speculation. If you want to, you know, want to have fun with money, then go to a casino. Okay, you know, because but don't do it and and pretend that you're going to get, you know, some kind of return in some kind of, you know, uh, obtuse or the newest fad of asset class. We are anti-speculation at our crowd. We do get the financials. In other words, in uh, in the companies that we invest, we invest like any normal venture capitalist. Okay, who does diligence, you know, on the the people on the business we call customers, we analyze their financials. We want to know where they are in terms of their competitive landscape. And only then will we either agree to join a round or in most cases, we lead rounds. And so we're investing in the company millions of dollars. In some cases, it's aggregated out at 10 or $20 million in some of the companies that we've backed. But individuals can come in and join us for $10,000 on up. And we think that's the, the best of both worlds. You can do this in a serious fashion together with a trusted intermediary, which in this case is our crowd. You can get into this venture capital asset class early and not have to wait for the IPO, but you're not doing it blindly by any means. Lauren, I wanna pull you into this conversation. Before listening to what John just said, I might have defined speculation based on a high risk, high return, right? So inherent in the nature of speculation is that you are doing somewhat risky investing, but there's a very high mm -hmm. possible return. What Jonathan is saying mm -hmm. is, no, it's actually due diligence, which makes it not speculation. Yeah. And it makes me think a lot about what you do. I would think that cross-border or cross-country 
investing and franchising and starting up businesses would fall more in the speculation realm. But I suspect you're going to tell me that that's exactly what you do is you bring in the due diligence in order to make it much less speculative and much more investment. Well, thank you, Dr. G. So I agree with John, although there is one little caveat. I think the definition of speculative has changed in the past eight months drastically because the world has changed and the investment world has changed. On the other hand, um, my real estate license is with a company called EXP, and that stock has gone from $4 in April to over $50 yesterday, and I didn't buy it. You know why their, their stock is doing so well? Not because of the real estate sales, although that's amazing and growing. It's because of tech. The truth is that I think speculation has changed. And I think that the due diligence element of speculation is more important than ever, it's, even when it comes to real estate, because real estate is supposedly the least speculative investment because it's tangible, like, like art, you can touch it, but generally speaking, it grows in, in value, um, especially in certain markets. Even that's kind of a little more speculative than it was before these days. So I think that the key is, like John also said, is to find a trusted advisor, a quarterback that can handle all of the elements with and for you, finding the properties, finding the investment, figuring out how your business can come into a new country, expand across borders, expand within borders. Do you want a franchise? What do all of these elements look like? And at the end of the day, if you have a strategy and a plan you'll be successful. Whereas if you're haphazardly going about making investments on a whim, you're never going to be successful. You may have a couple of wins here and there, but over the long term, you'll fall apart. Just like you do when you're in, when you're expanding your business across borders and not paying attention to the differences in culture and law and so on. So it's really important to work with a team or you know, a trusted advisor team that you trust that you believe in, and that you can put your faith in that's going to have your back because you want to stay in your lane and be able to build your business. And that's the critical element. So, Michael, I think it's safe to do away, at least for the rest of this conversation with the word speculation. But I think these are certainly alternative investments. And so when I think of doing alternative investments, at least in my own life, I really think I can gain two things from them, right? One is better returns and the other is better diversification. So let's talk about the returns in the art market. How do you think it compares to basic index investing? Sure. So I'll start off with a larger point about alternative investments. I think their importance has changed um, pre-financial crisis. Right now, 97% of all outstanding bonds are yielding less than 5%. 90% of developed government bonds are yielding less than 1%, and 80% of all outstanding bonds are yielding less than 5%. With these dynamics coming from low interest rates, money has to go somewhere where yields are higher. They can't sit in cash accounts, which you're gonna you're not gonna be able to scrape anything over half a percent. They can't go in bond yields. So where are investors gonna go to get returns? Well, the SP is trading almost 23 times. Stocks are really expensive. And if you're going to put yourself in an index, that's the S&P is now over 50% made up of the top five stocks, Facebook, Apple, Google, Netflix, Amazon. 
so if you're putting your money there, you really leverage those top five tech companies, which have huge multiples right now. So money really has to go somewhere. And so we're, tr- we're seeing people really thinking about this 60-40 portfolio that's been sort of ingrained into our, our minds over the last few decades. And that 60-40 may be going to 70% equities. And do you even really, how much do you want bonds? Like we're looking at municipal bonds that may be a good value play, but I think the desire for alternatives is there aren't any better alternatives. You have to move there. So, but we've seen, uh, you know, with blue chip art in this blue chip segment, which we defined as top 100 artists, uh, according to our price, blue chip art outperformed the S&P by 180% between 2000 and 2018. The contemporary art market did even better than that. So, we were finding that it's one, it's out of necessity, but two, you know, history and data shows us that art has been a really great investment um, if you're staying within that top 100 art market. John, what Michael mentions is interesting. We know that at least the experts are telling us that the bond and equity markets are not going to be great over the next decade. Are you finding that alternative investments, specifically what you guys do in our crowd, is becoming a necessary part of your investment allocations if you really want to maintain the returns, let's say, that we've got over the last 20 years? Yes. I mean, absolutely. The, uh, uh, the smartest investors in the world have been increasing their allocation to venture capital big time. You look at the Yale Endowment, okay, which is perhaps the best performing endowment in the world, 30 billion or so of assets, they've got over 20% of their assets allocated to venture capital. The problem for the rest of us is how in the heck do you do it, right? Do you pick up the phone and call Sequoia Capital, a great venture fund or benchmark and say, oh, I'd like to, you know, get into your fund. First of all, even if you had the minimum check available, which in most of these, you know, top-notch funds is a five or ten or or twenty million dollar initial check, you can't get in. They don't need your money. There are lines around the streets waiting to get in to these top-notch funds. So then you say, well, wait a minute, maybe I know somebody and I can be an angel investor. And the next thing you know, you're trying to think about how do I invest twenty-five or fifty thousand dollars in my cousin. Jerry's uh, interesting startup in his garage, that's not going to work very well. So there really has been a problem of how do the rest of us access this incredibly fertile asset class. Now, Israel, where we are headquartered, has this unbelievable startup nation ecosystem. And we're having a record year in Israel, despite COVID, right? The uh, cash inflows into Israeli startups are going up from last year, it was about $8 billion and some change for the year. This year will be well over $10 billion. We just had a record month in September of $1.1 billion invested the first month ever in Israel that over a billion dollars was invested in startups. At our crowd, we're having a record year. We're, we're, um, we're up on all of our you know, key indices. So you know, the, the reality is I think more and more people realize that you need a piece of venture capital in your platform. Shouldn't be too much, okay? It shouldn't uh, exceed that 5% by any means for any uh, normal portfolio. But then you've got to make sure that when you take that 5%, let's say you have a $10 million portfolio and you're looking to deploy a half a million dollars, you have to make sure that you diversify. 
And what we give you at our crowd is the ability to pick up funds, fund investments or $50,000 minimums or individual companies. And if you go the individual company route, we highly recommend that you add at least 10 of those you know, to your portfolio. Now, we've been fortunate that a couple of uh, our picks have been you know, quite outstanding over the last couple of years. Our crowd was a, a private market investor in Beyond Meat before it went public. And we did very well, you know, you know how that turned out in the public markets. And we also were private market investors in Lemonade, which was the best debut this year so far of a of an IPO. So uh, we hope that there'll be more like that. You know, past performance is no indication of the future, but we're working hard to find the most interesting deals. And I think that when you and I'll be happy to you know talk about some of the trends that I feel are are really outstanding because when you bet on artificial intelligence or big data in ag tech or the next wave in food tech or the growing need for cybersecurity or the cloud or e-commerce or I, I dare say even collecting uh, art uh, through you know companies like Masterworks, I think you're you're not speculating. You're you're basically figuring out uh, an intelligent trend which uh, hopefully you can ride, you know, quite some, some way. Lauren, it's an interesting conversation because what both Jonathan and Michael are talking about is these ways of allocating our money, especially for middle or high net worth individuals who are finding that the traditional markets aren't serving them. So venture capital, collectibles, and artwork, these are all places where people are looking to park their money to get very reasonable returns. In the past, I would have thought that overseas investment or overseas cross-border entrepreneurship would be much more risky. But it sounds like you're actually finding it to be a safer bet sometimes than doing these things in your home country. Well, I wouldn't necessarily say that. I would say that the opportunities are, there are more opportunities now than than there have been in a very long time. There are opportunities to unfortunately take advantage of the fact that people have not been paying their mortgages. There's going to be pre-foreclosures, foreclosures, not only in the US, but in Canada and other places. And it's a matter of working with a team that can find those opportunities. People like in South Florida right now, the market is hot. In in Manhattan, the market is down because people have moved out of the city. Okay, well, I have four realtors on my team that are saying the numbers, the prices are down. So interest is up, but prices are down. So I think that the opportunity is to work with people with a team that has access to the listings. I mean, it's not across the board and it's not rampant, but you have to work with a team of professionals that are able to find those opportunities and to, and, you know, distressed properties are there. They're not just, they're not just jumping out at you. They're not going to say, Oh, look, here I am come and invest in me. But if you work with a team that has their eye on the pulse of things and and is able to look at these, then real estate is the market is always going to go like this, ebb and flow, ebb and flow, except in Toronto, my hometown never ebbs, just flows. (laughs) But, um, 
But as crazy as that sounds, it's true. I was talking to someone this morning and even the city of Toronto is going out. It's still crazy. People aren't leaving the city there. So I think it just depends on where and how, what type of properties you want to invest in. There's commercial opportunities. I mean, I just think that now is a great time to develop your real estate portfolio and invest in real estate while you're diversifying into some of these other opportunities as well. You've got to have a diversified portfolio. And I think that that became more evident than ever when COVID started. And if all your money was in the stock market, you had some challenges, right? Because it wasn't liquid and you couldn't, you weren't diversified enough. So a lot of people panicked and went, you know, went totally cash and it's, it doesn't work like that. You have to be able to move through this and invest for the long term. And at the same time, something like, let's say, investing in art that you can sell on the market, investing in real estate that you can sell on the market, investing in real estate that you can rent for cash flow, that's going to sustain you almost like that W-2 job. Uh, a colleague of mine has 14 properties. He's finally about to quit his job. And, and he reached this plateau of a certain number each month and on each door and a door counts as a unit that's rented. And he was able to, he's able to quit his job. I think he just gave notice. So it really just depends on, on your goals and your strategy again, and how that looks and what else do you have in your investment profile? Because if all you're doing is real estate or all you're doing is stocks or all you're doing is art, it's not going to work. You need to have that diversification in order to be successful, especially through pandemics, which hopefully won't happen again, but we never expected this, did we? So, And to clear up some confusion when we're talking about overseas investing or cross-border. And then you're mentioning places like Manhattan. You have a lot of clients, Canadian clients or clients from outside the U.S. who use your services to buy properties, et cetera, inside the U.S. Yes. And I just was speaking earlier today with a gentleman who's now going to buy an apartment in, in Tel Aviv, an apartment in Europe, and an apartment in New York City. And he's living here in South Florida. So that's another way to diversify as well, because he wants to have, you know, places in each of those locations. So now is a good time to take advantage of those opportunities. And um, I specialize in looking at properties that are that are, where the mortgage isn't being paid. So you're able to av- help someone avoid foreclosure and get access to the property at a discounted price. It's It's subject to in the US and it's a great way to invest in property without having to put too much money up. In the first half of the show, Lauren, Michael, and Jonathan discuss the difference between speculation and investment. After the break, we tackle some of the pitfalls of alternative investments. But first... You know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave and two minutes later, we'd have a fantastic meal. You can do the exact same thing. And there's tons of variety. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including calorie smart, keto, protein plus, or vegan and veggie. 
Also, discover more than 60 add-ons every week. These are chef-prepared meals, and let me tell you, they are delicious. No fuss, no mess. You just put it in the microwave, and two minutes later, you have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code earn50 at factormeals.com slash earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Want to learn more about how to manage your money today? Wadhacks.com helps demystify money. For far too long, experts have made it complicated so they can make money off you. Wadhacks offers no products, no services, just information to help you become better with your money. And best of all, it's free. Check them out at wadhacks.com. That's W-A-L-L-E-T-H-A-C-K-S dot com. Michael, up to this point, we've been talking about the positives of all of these alternative investment strategies. Let's talk about artwork specifically. Any big downsides? You know, I'd say the biggest downside comes from, I guess, there's two ways. Not knowing, there's speculation as we talked about. I think if you go and buy something off the, or the famous cruise ship story, never buy art on a cruise ship. Um, (laughs) It will not look good once you're off the ship after, you know, you've sobered up a little bit and your money will be uh, down the drain or into the ocean, I should say. Two, you know, a lot of people get excited when they go into galleries. They hear this pitch. They hear about how great this artist is going to be. A lot of times it, it never pans out. But I think even more specifically, you know, our founder, who is a top 100 art collector, he always tells a story of, you know, he, when he first started collecting art, he bought, um, you know, maybe a hundred or so Picasso ceramics. Uh, he got really excited about it. And he didn't really do enough due diligence. He, you know, heard about Picasso, thought it was a great investment. And as he did more research and really got further into the art market, he realized that these ceramics were essentially worthless. He sold a lot of them for, you know, maybe a tiny gain, still has a bunch of them, sold some for a loss, and, you know, pretty much came out to be a wash. And what he realizes that a, an artist's name isn't that important. You really have to find the best part of their life where they produce their best work, the cu- cultural significance of that. We're seeing a lot of Jean-Michael Basquiat's work you know, really accelerating right now what's going on um, in our culture today versus what was he was what he was producing in the 80s. The colors, I talked about the years. There's so many factors. Just because it has that name next to it doesn't make it a good investment. John, when I think of VC or angel investing, it sounds really exciting, but are there some downsides? All the time. You can lose all your money, right? I mean, uh, there, you know, this is the high risk, high reward asset class. And especially if you're an early stage investor, um, most people are familiar with the fact that the majority of startups fail. And fail doesn't mean they go down 10% or 20% in value. Failure means an egg, a zero, you lose everything, okay? And therefore you have to be conscious of what we in the business call the venture capital power law, which is that really ultimately, if you take that advice I gave earlier about uh, investing in 10 or more startups to build a portfolio, one out of 10 
is going to probably provide 80% or more of your total returns. There's going to be that one outlier that's going to be hopefully a 10x or more than 10x if you've done your work right that will cover several losses. Now, you know, we uh, at our crowd, we've uh, made 220 individual investments so far. We've got 41 exits and we've got uh, 20 write offs. So, you know, and, and by the way, not all of our exits have been positive, some of them returned partially. Uh, on the dollar. But uh, we also have, you know, companies that return four and five X and uh, many that look like they will do 10 X and, and, and more. So you, you really, you know, you need to get that diversification and realize you're dealing with very, very flammable and uh, uh, perishable goods. I mean, and startups, you can do your diligence, not just by relying uh, and reading and studying some of the work that that intermediaries like our crowd or venture capital managers do. And then we publish on our website. If you go to ourcrowd.com, you can see uh, an analysis we do. You can meet the, the CEOs, but you should use your own network. Because if you're looking, for example, at one of our companies like Memic, which is a surgical robot company. Now, most of us don't have the the skills to to, uh, actually determine whether this surgical robot is going to be like Auris, which was a company bought by Johnson & Johnson for $6 billion, or it's going to fail. But what you do know is that you might have a brother-in-law who is a surgeon, you know, at a major medical center. And you can ask him, or you know somebody who's an old classmate, or you can read about this stuff. There's work that can be done, okay? Uh, in the food tech area, you know, one of the pieces of diligence I did for Beyond Meat before we made the investments is I ate the stuff. Okay, I wanted to see what it tasted like, and I liked it. And then I gave it to my kids, okay, to see if they liked it. And then what they liked the most was they could have cheeseburgers because we keep kosher. And uh, these were vegetarian and allowed them to put the cheese on the burger. But there is a variety of diligence which you need to do. And the more serious, the better. The more sources of data, the better. And, and, and look at the future. For example, if you look at what's going on in ag tech today, the world needs to be fed. And agriculture is going through a technology transformation like no other. And we're investing heavily in it, right? We have two positions in incubators. One is an ag tech incubator out in New Zealand. One is a food ag tech incubator up in the north of Israel, we're investing in medical cannabis incubator, okay? And we're investing in companies that are collecting data from airborne platforms, that are collecting data from the ground, that are getting up close to plants and basically uh, miniaturizing mass spectrometry. And we believe that these things will be transformative and there will be you know, great companies built, but you got to do your homework. And you gotta uh, uh, take it seriously. It's not. It's not for investing on a whim. Well, I really love this conversation because I think to round it out, if we're to separate speculation from alternative investments, they both can be high risk, high return. But what really separates, in my mind, is the due diligence. Is all that you were just talking about. It's knowing someone who's in that field who can give you their opinion. It's studying up. It's investing with people that you know and you respect. 
I think that helps round out the conversation quite a bit, especially as we enter this next decade where we really don't know what's going to be happening with the equity markets. Certainly for those who are looking for higher returns or at least a more diversified portfolio should consider alternative investments at least to make up somewhat of their asset allocation. I want to go through each of you guys and give you a chance to talk about your platform as well as tell us where we can find you and interact if we are interested. Lauren, let's start with you. Can you tell us a little bit about eCouncil Inc. and how people can interact with your platform if they're interested? Sure, thank you. So my tagline is helping people invest, live, work, and play across borders. And that's really what we aim to achieve for everybody in our in our pipeline. You can find me on Facebook, eCouncil Inc. On LinkedIn, eCouncil Inc. It's E-C-O-U-N-C-I-L-I-N-C. On Instagram, it's Lauren Cohen ESQ. And I would love to interact with uh, anybody that has questions about business investment, immigration, visas, real estate, and investing, um, especially across borders, but also within Canada and the U.S. I'm licensed in both countries, and I am originally from Toronto. That's why I have Niagara Falls in my background, um, which I would love to be there right now, but unfortunately, I can't go home because I have a two-week quarantine. So anyway, it's been a pleasure to be here. Um, very, very interesting conversation. Very high-level high panel. Thank you. And I, I, I can also be found at founder at eCouncil, E-C-O-U-N-C-I-L global.com. I'm happy to set up a free consult with anybody that's listening. Um, all you have to do is go to my calendar, bit.ly backslash L-A-C explore, bit.ly backslash L-A-C explore. I look forward to connecting and thank you again for the opportunity. And thanks, gentlemen. And Michael, tell us a little more about Masterworks and if people are interested where they can go to learn more. Masterworks is the first and only platform to invest in blue chip art from artists like Banksy, Cause, Monet, Picasso, George Kondo, Kusama. Um, We have uh, over 80,000 investors on the platform uh, and we have about a 15,000 person wait list. You can check us out at masterworks.io. If you want to skip that wait list, just use promo code DOCG. We'll get you right on through to schedule a call with one of our membership teams. Uh, we really take a bespoke approach to art investing. And we think it's really important that when you sign up, you're not just clicking around. As we talked about before, you want to know someone that knows something about the industry. So everyone that signs up has a call with someone from our membership team to give them an overview of the art market, about what our current offerings are, what role does art and alternatives play in your portfolio to really give you that one-on-one connection. We think that there's a lot of speculation out there in the market with Robinhood and some of these you know, get-rich-quick schemes as we talked about, but we want this to be a very personal relationship. You get to keep that art advisor throughout your entire lifetime investing on Masterworks. So again, that's masterworks.io and use promo code DOCG to skip the wait list. And Michael, I love this fact that we were talking about before the show began, but pre-COVID times, you guys actually have a gallery space so that people Mm -hmm. can see the artwork. This is a paper investment on some level for your members, Mm -hmm. but it's not just paper. This is backed by real artwork that can be viewed, et cetera, which is really cool. Yeah. Can't wait for this all to be over and come visit us in Soho and, and see what you're investing in. 
And John, I've heard our crowd described as a mix between crowdfunding and venture capital. Tell us about our crowd and how we can interact if we're more interested. So thank you, Doc. Our crowd is the world's largest equity crowdfunding platform for tech startups. We have right now close to 60,000 investors. They're all accredited uh, investors from 183 countries. We've made 220 individual company investments. We have 22 funds on the platform and funding commitments in excess of a billion and a half dollars. We were founded in 2013. We're backed by some of the leading financial institutions in the world. We uh, allow you to choose your own platform of startup investments and funds so you can build a a blend and get uh, highly diversified Our individual company investments start at $10,000, although we have individuals who are writing multi-million, even double-digit million-dollar checks uh, through our crowd, and the fund investments start at $50,000. We are diversified in terms of offering both early-stage, intermediate-stage, and late-stage investments, but they're all in private companies, and we're diversified according to sector. So you'll find on our crowd cybersecurity, healthcare, you know, we have a company uh, working on the world's first oral vaccine for COVID called MIGVAX. We have companies doing the defeating fake news on, you know, social networks and companies involved in cybersecurity and uh, you name it. And we'd love to see you at ourcrowd.com. It's pretty much self-service. We do have a variety of in, uh, uh, investor relations representatives who can help you, you know, understand the platform, but it's pretty self-explanatory. Again, you have to be an accredited investor to access the investments through our crowd based on the, uh, the rules of, the, of your country of residence. So this has been the Earn and Invest podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I'd like to thank Michael Wenner, Lauren Cohen, and Jonathan Medved. That's a wrap. I think this episode gives us a really good chance to talk about alternative investments. I am a big fan of index investing. I've always been. I like the stock market. You take your cash, you put it in, and then you leave it. This is really low maintenance. There are all sorts of other alternative investments out there. We heard our guests talk about our crowd, which is a crowdfunded source of venture capital money prepping for some of the big IPOs out there. We also heard Michael talk about Masterworks, a way to securitize artwork. I do the alternative investment of real estate, if you even want to call that alternative. And generally, I've been in the real estate market for something like 10 years. I've owned five or six different properties. Currently, I own four right now. And I have to admit that the majority of the time, I have found this to be an incredibly easy form of investing. That's right. Most months, I was spending one to two hours at most dealing with my real estate. Otherwise, All of my units were rented, I was getting my monthly checks, and everything was going splendid. I got the almost incorrect feeling that investing in real estate is easy, and I guess mostly it is. In fact, I have a lot of friends who feel like 
Real estate is one of the most straightforward, easy ways to invest and make money. Yet this year has pretty much changed everything. If anything could go wrong, it has with my real estate investments this year. And maybe it's because of COVID, maybe because of this pandemic, everyone is living their lives fully in their homes and units. Maybe it's because most people are working from home. It seems like everything is breaking down. On a previous episode, I talked about one of my buildings where the units are infested with cockroaches. That has been fairly unpleasant. It has nothing to do with me. The condo association has to take care of it, but it has caused a definite certain amount of pain. Let me give you an example of how things just seem not to work. I have a tenant who reported that their water heater was making all sorts of noise and causing problems. I brought in one of the water heating specialists, and they couldn't fix it because it is a tankless unit because the area in which my water heater is in is not large enough for a full tanked water heater. Unfortunately, the person I brought in doesn't work on tankless water heaters. I brought in three or four more plumbers, HVAC specialists, etc., and none of them would work on this unit. I finally found someone through a recommendation who would. He comes in, takes a look at it, and says, well, the water heater isn't working, needs to be replaced completely, and is at risk of leaking and causing damage to your floor. And oh, by the way, there may be some carbon monoxide issues. So I kind of had to change this water heater fairly quickly. No problem. A new tankless water heater, $4,000. That's right, $4,000. And not only that, but the newer water heaters need venting to the roof. So he put in the new water heater. He vented it to the roof. Two days later, it rains heavily. And guess what? Water in my unit right around the water heater. So clearly there was a problem with the venting. I call the guy back. He comes up. He clears out the area. He reseals it. He says, well, look, you have lots of standing water on your roof of this building, and that's the problem. So, of course, I call the condo association who's responsible for dealing with the roof. They take a look and say, oh, you used a roofer who is not one that we recommend with the condo association. Therefore, we're going to fine you for doing this work on your unit. Well, I didn't use a roofer. I used the plumber who put in the tankless water heater who does the venting as part of his normal job. So the condo association made me get their own roofer to come in and take a look at it. Now, mind you, after my plumber came back and resealed the area, there was no leaking and the unit was working perfectly and we had no problems with water in the condo. Well, the new roofer comes in, doesn't call me, doesn't ask my opinion, and just does $700 worth of work to reseal the area and fix what they thought was a problem with the venting that the plumber had put in. I'm kind of stuck because the condo association requires that I use this roofer to do any outside work. So I pay the $700. Three days later, it rains heavily, and all of a sudden, I'm having water in my unit again, coming from a slightly different place. Then the last water I had coming in, clearly something the roofers did, caused a new leak, and now I'm back to square one trying to get the roofers back in to fix the problem. This is just one of many issues. On my four units, I'm getting calls every single day now with some problem. Some of these problems are fixable, some of them are not. 
Some of them cost a lot of money. Very few of them cost no money. I'm not really complaining. I've been treated really well by these investments, but for the first time in the last month, I've thought very seriously about liquidating my real estate assets because it's getting to the point where dealing with them is more complicated than just liquidating, paying the taxes, and taking that money and putting it in an index fund, which I don't like the idea of that because I like the diversification that real estate gives me. Of course, I could take the money from my sale and put it in a REIT or something like that, which would be a little more diversified than just putting it into an S&P 500 index, let's say. But I kind of hold on to this idea of maintaining the diversification of being a landlord. The other option, of course, would be to be hiring a management company that could then monitor my units. But even when you get a management company, you then have to manage the management company. And unless you're paying really close attention to them, a series of problems can arise. They can cause you just as many problems as they can fix. So I'm at a crux And this episode really helped me think about that crux, the idea behind alternative investments and what role they should play in your investment portfolio. And what my guest brought up is really true. We think that the equity and bond markets may not perform very well over the next five to 10 years. So if you really want your returns to stay up, You need some type of alternative investment. For me, that's always been real estate. I haven't made any decisions yet. But for the first time ever, I'm thinking of liquidating those units that I own and living a much more simple, if less diversified life. What do you all think? Should I keep my units? Should I put up with the pain? Yes, it is a pain, but I can always hire most of the problems out. And it is only money, money that I'm making on the units. Or should I go ahead and sell the real estate and move on? Certainly something I'm contemplating, something I had never imagined I'd be thinking about, but has come to pass what I believe mostly because of this COVID pandemic and how it is changing the landscape of just about everything we do. I'll let you know what I decide to do when I decide to do it here on the Earn and Invest podcast. So interestingly enough, um, so I started a business buying and selling artwork at the beginning of my professional career and did it for about two or three years, probably sold a few hundred thousand dollars worth of artwork. That's not profit. That's gross. Um, Mm -hmm. But had a lot of fun with it. So I definitely understand the impetus for what you guys are doing. Um, Totally. It's a great, interesting market Um, Mm -hmm. besides that. You not only get the fun of watching your investments go up, but you get to see the the artwork. The only the only hard part about something like Masterworks is you don't actually get to put it up on your wall. But otherwise, that's yes, true. Well, that's why we have the gallery here. People, well, pre COVID, could come in and take a look at prints of the art. But uh, yeah, and then we're actually we have one of our paintings going on loan to uh, Moco in Amsterdam. Do you Moco guys? Cruise. You guys should send like a decent quality print. We, to we your investors that. that would yeah. be really cool so lauren michael works for a company called masterworks they've securitized artwork and so we were just talking about some cool things they could do oh neat you care about your money of course you do so why aren't you listening to sofi daily 
This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. The corporate world is like the ocean. It's alluring, but it's also full of deadly creatures that can shred you to pieces. It becomes kind of like a Game of Thrones political arena where everyone's trying to murder you to get your job. My family doesn't come from corporate background, so I didn't have any sort of guidance in that. This is not your typical work podcast. Sometimes you need to be empathetic. And then there are times that you ask for input, but you don't really give a shit. <laughs> Listen to the Ambie Award-nominated podcast, Surfing Corporate. Stretch opportunity. What is a yoga class? Get out of here. <laughs> 